Sans Pants Radio, Australia's least coherent podcast network. To another exciting edition of Total Reboot, the only podcast on the internet about movies. I'm Cameron James, and I'm sitting here in Blu-ray Studios with a dear friend of mine and guest on the podcast, Dr. Alexi Toliopoulos. Cam, it is great to be here on the podcast. I'm excited to talk about the movie that we've got today, as I... I'm always excited to talk about movies, but it's mm. rare that I get to do it on a podcast. And uh, I'm looking around the, the way you've decorated this Blu-ray studios. Mm. It's wonderful what you've done in here. You've got all your Woody Allen Blu-rays on display. <laughs> I've actually uh, got them hidden. All the Roman Polanskis <laughs> yes, are up there as well. They're actually all hidden in a section behind a, <laughs> behind a little fake wall that I've got. <laughs> Very spooky stuff. Yeah. But the spookiest Blu-ray cover that I can see here mm. is a... Uh, Jeez Louise, it's in a tin. The tin is... It's pronounced Steelbook, not a tin. Steelbook? It's the Steelbook edition. Wait a second, they don't call it the tin? No, that, well, they call it the thing, they don't call it the tin. The tin. <laughs> John Carpenter's The Tin is sitting out on your bookshelf in prominent display mm. here, and that's very apropos. Yes, and not apropos of nothing, which is a book, a biography by a guy that I don't have anything of within this room anywhere. <laughs> is that Woody Allen's? Yes. <laughs> Woody Allen's new book. Yeah. I don't have it. I actually don't own it. I would never buy it. No, no, no. You got the audio book, though. You want to yeah. hear his voice. <laughs> I'm trying to detect if he's telling the truth listening yeah. to it. Yeah. Uh, no, The Thing by John Carpenter, which is what we talked about last week. This week, mm-hmm. we're talking about the remake slash reboot slash prequel, prequel yeah. to this flick. It's called The Thing from 2011. We are excited to be talking about The Thing from 2011 today, which of course is, I guess, an update from The Thing from Another World. Yep. Yeah, so the first one is called The Thing from Another World. That yep. was from... The 1950s. 1951. And it was incredibly rock and roll version of the thing. Yeah. It's, everyone's wearing leather jackets. They've got that little cool little sailor cap. <laughs> that Marlon Brando sailor cap. Thing. Uh, everyone's, the thing rides a motorbike. Yeah, and he has a toothpick betwixt his teeth. He has a toothpick and he, uh, several times during the film, bangs a jukebox mm. and a pop song comes on. Yeah, it, or one of the first pop song experiences, first films to have a pop song in it, yeah. was The Thing From Another World tapping it. Really it's cool. It's kind of a bit like Mork and Mindy, actually. Yeah, very similar. And speaking of Mork and Mindy, that's a show from the 70s mm. into the early 80s. Mm. And uh, John Carpenter's The Thing is from 1982. It's yep. much more of an 80s update. Yeah. So you've got big hair. Big hair. The thing's wearing like a nice blue suit with a t-shirt underneath, and he's rolled those sleeves up yeah. to be just past 
He's for us. Miami Vice style. Yes. Everyone's on cocaine. There's actually no snow in that movie. It's all mm. cocaine. Yeah, it's beautiful cocaine flakes everywhere. And this one, 2011, I mean, I can't even remember culturally what was happening in 2011. Yeah. I think this is this is pre-Trump. It's pre-Trump. It's hard to believe there was ever a time <laughs> where Barack Obama. Barack Saddam Hussein <laughs> Obama was in the White House. Was the Prime Minister of the United States of America. <laughs> and um, he was he was president, from what I understand. That's what I understand too, and I haven't looked that up, no. but I will check it out later and make sure that that holds up. Yeah, I'm pretty that sure. is just a fact from memory that I have. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that he was there and he was rocking out and he was killing yeah. it in the Oval Office. Yeah, 2011 was quite the time a little Alexi Toliop had gone from high school and had arrived at the beautiful Australian Film School. Wow. Australian Film Was that your first year at the first film year? School? Yeah, first year. What sort of movies are we watching in 2011? Then I can I know the biggest movie. The what movie was, was Ryan Gosling starring in a beautiful toothpick. Oh. The movie Drive. Wow. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's you at that era. I'm up. wearing my denim jacket. I've got a little. Pockets full of gloves dangling out my back pocket. You actually did have driving gloves, didn't yes, you? Yes, they did tuck out from the back pocket as if they're singing, hello, hello, sailor. Unbelievable. Yeah, and it was very cool. I had a ponytail, which I basically have grown back out <laughs> since not getting my hair cut this year. How long was your ponytail? Not that long, about the same length like my hair Like it's this length hair, so a short little ponytail. Yeah. <laughs> like a little samurai <laughs> ponytail. It was like the, the record producer from uh, Wayne's World. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it's just so little, good. Yeah, it was cute. Oh, wow. What was what I doing, doing in 2011? 2011? But at the end of 2011, mm. I started doing stand-up comedy for the wow. first time. And who were your guys at that time? Oh, who are my guys? Let's go through the list. Um, Jeez, you know, probably Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy, Woody. Woody Allen. Roman Polanski. Roman Polanski. <laughs> I really liked his stuff. Uh <laughs> Louis C.K. Louis C.K., Stanley Kubrick. Crystalia. Mm. You know, all the kings. <laughs> yeah, and how the mighty still reign. Yeah, nothing's changed. I hope not. I have not been online for a little while. No, no as far as I'm aware, nothing's changed, and those guys are still the king of the box office. <laughs> <laughs> we going, we're traveling all the way back to 2011 for this reboot, mm. I guess, of the thing. And it is an odd one to go back to because it's weird because I remember people being like being up in arms about this movie. I remember absolutely nothing about it. I can't remember any buzz or any talk about it mm. at all. In fact, um, still, I have nothing to say about it. So <laughs> yeah, that's why we're talking about. I don't know comedians. what we're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, this is um, this is a struggle because I think last week there was so much to say mm. about the thing, and now watching this one, it's kind of like. I guess, unpacking like what it even is. Because this is almost like a recap podcast because I can't imagine anyone ever watching this reboot of the Yeah, thing. I don't really want to analyze it because there's not much to analyze. But I think we can tell people what the differences are between mm. Carpenter's one and this one yeah. to save them the hassle of watching it. And trying to figure out like why it exists, yeah, really. Yeah, and you know or what? what they were aiming for. Before we even dive into it, I just want to say it wasn't even bad. Yes. I uh, would it's say... N- it's not even like I didn't like it. It's just, mm. it just... It just was. It just was. It just was and just continue will, to will be. 
Yeah. I remember around this time, there was like the 2000s and into the 2010s, there was kind of like this idea of horror remakes or horror reboots or horror prequels. Mm. And there were some that like floated to the top. Like obviously the 2000s, The Ring Mm. that we covered on this podcast is a phenomenal picture, the American remake of The Ring. And then you've got probably a couple of others that just like make a bit of an impact that there's so many, like there's a Texas Chainsaw Massacres, Mm -hmm. there's Friday the 13th, there's like the Rob Zombie Halloween, the Freddy Freddy, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street one, which was like just totally awful, a nightmare. Awful. But there was this trend of getting these older properties and bringing them back with like a remake. And hang on, let me think. And you know what? Making them gorier. Yes, and kind of like figuring out, like trying to one-up them. Like I remember when we yeah. talked about the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, how they uh, took things from the subtext, like yeah. Freddy being a pedophile and bringing that up to the text. And made it quite literal. Everything very literal. And then like, like the, the idea of making things more realistic make, would make them more scary mm. and, or more gritty would make them more scary. But in the end, it just makes it more uncomfortable. I guess this is coming like hot off the heels of uh, like torture porn horror movies like Saw and Hostel and stuff. So gore, blood and like, yeah, realism, kind mm. of bringing realism to horror movies was the taste at the time. Yeah. And often for the worse. Mm. I don't even think this falls in that no. category. There are parts of this that are quite gory, mm. um, but it's also much more cartoony than maybe even Carpenter's one in yeah. some ways. I think that that's a really good point, Like that it is like trading on this gore, mm. because the producers of this film, uh, Mark Abraham and Eric Newman, they were able to get onto Wait a this. Second. Eric who? <laughs> Eric Newman. Eric... Eric Newman. Yeah, Newman. As in, hello, Jerry. <laughs> hello, Jerry. The cat is the canary one more time. <laughs> it's I, Eric Newman. I'm producing cinema now, Jerry. <laughs> okay, well, you know, what's the deal with that, Newman? I don't really know. <laughs> I don't really know, Newman. <laughs> You're a sad, strange little man, Newman. I wish it was Newman. Oh, God. What did these guys do? Newman and Abraham. Newman and Abraham, they got together after creating the Dawn of the Dead remake, <laughs> oh, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, the yeah. Zack Snyder remake of Dawn of the Dead. And by the way, release the Snyder cut of Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, they got to get that real original cut out there. <laughs> and uh, that was quite successful. I think it works because it does have an auteur director at the helm. So it is someone's voice reinterpreting the work of like one of the great horror auteurs. And it makes sense for it to be in that kind of grimy horror reboot new wave that was around that time Mm. that would kind of capture the imaginations of people. Then those guys, because of the success of that, they kind of got the idea to look through the Universal Studios library looking for what other properties they could bring themselves to. And they decided not to do stuff like The Exorcist. They didn't really want to do a remake. They want to do a prequel or something or Mm. another version of to create a franchise. And when they found the thing, they were like, that works. We don't want to do a remake of that. We want to put another thing into that world. Another chapter. Yeah. Do you know, I'm looking at um, Eric Newman. (laughs) I'm looking at his credits. And it says that he used to be a postman. Yeah, and he had a rivalry with a comedian that lived in his building. <laughs> and his best friend was an unemployed guy. 
<laughs> he started on SNL. Oh, really? As a talent developer, whatever that means. Mm. And uh, he, the first producing credit he has is Black Sheep, the David Spade wow. Chris Farley movie. Directed by Penelope Spheros. Yes. And then he's moved on. A lot of other stuff going on there. And then do you know what's coming up on his slate? Oh, by the way, also production assistant on Wayne's World and Tommy Boy. Wow. That's cool stuff. That's awesome. Then he gets into the shit that you just talked about that Mm -hmm. sucks ass. Mm -hmm. And then what's coming up? Very excited for this. Bright 2. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> wow, I've, I just... All the gas was let out of my body all at once. There's going to be a bright two? Apparently. Wow. But mind you, that was announced in 2017, so wow. I don't know. Even brighter, I've heard it's called. On May 5, 2020, it was reported that Netflix had entered negotiations with Louis Leterrier <gasps> okay. to direct the sequel. I like that. Louis Leterrier jumping in. You love in. The Incredible Hulk. Mm, and that is one of his motion pictures. <laughs> and you love Now You See Me, which is another one. That oh, made. I've never seen them, but I would love to see the trailers more often. <laughs> I can't believe there's going to be bright too. And I hope the magic is just as good as it was in Now You See Me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing stuff. So that's very cool. He's got some good bona fides on him. Which we like to see. Well, yeah, we love to see the bona fides of our producers before we <laughs> dive into the review of the podcast. But so I think it's 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 kind of weird because this is a this is simultaneously a remake and a prequel, which kind mm. of feels like a, a bit of a forerunner for or like in the same zone of like the legacy sequels. That yeah, kind of like Halloween. That. And, yeah. Um... It's actually very similar to Halloween. Mm. That you could you could say that it's it's another chapter in the story, but it has the same title as the original, yeah. and it's using beats from the original mm. to tell the story again, which is confusing for someone like me, yeah. who's a completist, a completist, and someone who takes titles very literally. Yes, you uh, you see a title and you go, "Well, I'm expecting to see yeah the thing once again, some kind of thing." Yeah. But as it turns out, I'm seeing a prequel to the thing. Mm. Was that a secret before it came out? I don't know if it was a secret, but I think that they were not open about it. Right. I think that uh, I remember people seeing this movie and then going like, hey, hang on a second, wait till you see that ending. The yeah. ending is worth seeing the whole movie for. Me too. That's all I remember hearing about it was people going at the ending, the end they reveal that it's a prequel. Yeah. But it's... um. It's, I don't think it does. I think it's kind of clear from the beginning, right? I think that maybe what got people is that because this is very specific, not in America or not in civilization, working on the, in the Antarctic, mm. that this signifies that this is a period film, yeah. uh, almost zilch. Yeah, you, you just know? have Eric Christian Olsen's haircut. That's all you're exactly. going on. And you got someone listening to <laughs> Men, Men at Work in the that's first it. scene. See, that's the moment. It happens right at the beginning where you hear a bit of, who can it be now? That I was like, oh, yeah, we're in the past. Um, we're in I was like, they've got Spotify. <laughs> they can listen to whatever song they want. <laughs> well, this is 2011. I think that's pre-Spotify, Spotify, isn't it? It would have been maybe Pre-Spotify. Pandora. Might have been Pandora, might have been XFM or something. Oh, wow. Wow. It could be anything at this point. Could still be Napster. Yeah. 
<laughs> they might have had it saved from an old download of Napster. <laughs> this is this is the LimeWire version of the thing from 2011. <laughs> Shall we dive into this movie? Let's do it. My God. Somebody was attacked. But it seems everyone is fine. Either someone miraculously healed themselves, or someone is not who they say they are. What was it doing to him? It's imitating his cells. I think this thing copies its prey and then hides inside it. What are you saying? Not all of us are human. Could be any of us. The Thing from 2011, directed by Matthias Van Heinigen Jr. It's not human yet. I like that tagline. Me too. I actually think I like that even more than man is the warmest place to hide. Oh, I would like it if it was man is not the warmest place to hide yet. (laughs) (laughs) When paleontologist Kate Lloyd travels to an isolated outpost in Antarctica for the expedition of a lifetime, she joins an international team that unearths a remarkable discovery. Their elation quickly turns to fear as they realize that their experiment has freed a mysterious being from its frozen prison. Paranoia spreads like an epidemic as a creature that can mimic anything it touches will pit human against human as it tries to survive and flourish in this spine-tingling thriller. Wow. Yeah, that was the entire press release for the thing <laughs> from 2011 that I read there. Let's... Because, I mean, yeah, we don't really care too much about this, but let's let's talk through what is similar mm. to Carpenter's version. Yes. Um, the premise? The premise? <laughs> it is about a thing. It's about a group of people isolated in the snow. And this time they're quite explicit. This is a thing from another world. Yes, yes, yes. This is the discovery of a craft. That's true. It begins much like the original, the thing from another world, with the discovery of a spacecraft. Mm-hmm. And then with the discovery of a being that was trying to escape yep. from the spacecraft and froze in the ice. I think that when we're talking about what is the same from this and the thing from 2000, from 1982, uh-huh. is the world is the same. Literally, this yeah. is in the same it's universe. The same setting. And one thing I was reading about this is that they kind of like saw this as a puzzle movie where they looked at the original space that is the Norwegian camp Mm. that they go to when they discover that there is a thing amongst them. And they looked at everything that they found there as a clue or or as a piece of... where everything had to end up in those positions. Yeah, yeah. Like, for example... In Carpenter's one, you see a uh, a, f- a creature that has been burnt, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> it looks like it's halfway merging between two different human faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also see a guy who's killed himself and yep. frozen to death in the snow, and blah, you'll blah, see blah. an axe like ch- stuck into a wall and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, and um, so this movie goes to great lengths to solve those puzzles and say and show you how those things got to where they mm. are. Which I think um, is 
not interesting to me. Yeah, I think that it would be a fascinating exercise as a creator yeah. to do something like that. But I think watching it in this, those aren't mysteries to me. No, 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 not at all. And I don't need to know the the, the burnt up thing body outside is actually just a thing that was trying to morph itself to Eric Christian Olsen's mm. body. Yeah. In fact, that kind of even ruined what my imagination of what was happening there mm. is. I think that is one of the great problems of this movie yeah. is that uh, it is like what a lot of these like horror reboots and remakes or sequels or prequels really get wrong is that uh, in the originals, the mystery is an element of fear. And yeah. then these movies go to great lengths to either bring those mysterious fears into some sort of reality, which in turn explains them, or to give reason behind them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think with this one in particular, there is a lot of over-explaining of like law, like the thing law almost, mm. and like history to it and how they work. And even, the I think the greatest sin of this movie is for... Even though it's only seconds, it's brief moments. I know exactly what you're going to say. Brief moments where you actually see what the thing what is. What it looks like. Yeah, yeah. so the the best thing about Carpenter's one is... Which I would actually call Carpenter's one the best thing, like you just said. It is the best thing. <laughs> and the best thing about the best thing, Carpenter's film, is <laughs> that the first time we see the creature, it is already... It, morphed into a dog mm. we never see it in how it originally looks on its home planet or whatever yeah. you we don't know what it looks like all we know is that it can look like anything this movie begins with you see it in frozen in ice mm-hmm. you don't get a clear look at it at all really but you get enough to go okay it's like this blob of tentacles and mm-hmm. claws and muscle sinewy muscle you know that it looks like what we've seen aliens look like in other movies mm. before. And then when it bursts out of the ice, like you mentioned, you see m- like microseconds of what it really looks like. Yeah, pincers it- and bones <clears throat> and kind of yeah. exoskeleton-y type Enough stuff. Enough to totally um, remove all mystery. Mm. I-, I think it's the I think it is the biggest sin of this movie and it immediately made it less scary and threatening yeah for me i think as well like to make it like obviously in the best thing uh there is like it we do see it a, a ship crash land on earth in some way or we see like that yeah, star yeah. flying to earth what well, whatever it's you a would ship, describe it yeah as. you see yeah. a ship at the start and i think from then there's nothing else about it being like this cosmic or mm. creature it in the it it, it it kind of lives in the fear of being this amorphous unknowable shape and mm. unknowable idea of what it could could be this movie we have like our main character being a paleontologist who is a, is a science expert if you will on like putting together like what this thing is and i think there's parts of that that work it works there's stuff that works in this because this is a scientific team that uh they have a purpose now because it's not the same as the the best thing where everyone is like lonely men that Mm. like are seeking solitude basically this is a team of people that are excited to find something and to make a Mm. discovery and it works for uh, it works, I would say, for that purpose in that, like, the film begins with three Norwegians 
uh, in like this snowmobile. One of them with like headphones on, very intense, like looking at this tracker, mm. like this radar tracker, like trying to find this sound and identify what this sound is. And it's actually like a really great, unique building of tension in this movie where this they're in this snowmobile and the two people driving the snowmobile, they're not science people. They are like you know, driving people or whatever, whoever. They're laborers. Laborers that are working. Laborers by day. Laborers by day, blue collar Joes by night and afternoon. (laughs) And they're telling like this, like this obscene joke. And I think it's like a good example of like building the tension up through a joke because you know that the payoff is either going to be punchline or something gross. But then also the tension being built up by like this radar. And I was kind of thinking like, is this going to be good? Like Mm. there's something about that moment that, I found really exciting. I'm like, oh, is this going to be like this small movie that builds like on uh, tension in ways like this? But then it immediately left when they crash through like this gigantic, yeah. like glacial. I don't even know, like a fissure, like a in hole the... in the ice, basically, mm. and land on top of a spaceship. Yeah, when that happened, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I don't. Think oh I'm yeah, like this, this is big budget studio horror movie. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, the the other, uh, I'd say one of the other cardinal sins of this movie is the exposition that they give to explaining how the creature mm. mimics uh, whatever life force it's it's like mm. absorbing. I think that that's that's something that like we're all pretty familiar with that as a premise from science fiction by mm. now that aliens come down and they look like us and yeah. or they absorb our essence or whatever. But to literalize it in this film where Eric Christian Olsen is like looking through a microscope mm-hmm. <laughs> at the alien cell, like... <laughs> it doesn't even transform. <laughs> it doesn't even... Tra- it just like goes over to a human blood cell and then like eats it, yeah. like opens up like Pac-Man <laughs> and eats the other cell and yeah. then and then his voice is like oh my god it's absorbing the human cell and then you see the alien cell begin to look like a human cell it just flicks over it goes like Bloop, and turns yeah. into a human cell and eric christian olsen again is like and it's becoming like us it's mimicking our cells i was like <laughs> fuck off we know we've seen it i've seen the best thing i know what it's doing you're being too you're holding my hand through this yeah. in the most boring way it felt like that had to have been a note from studio saying, mm. but the, how will people know what the thing is? And I, I don't think we need to know. And any explanation we give makes it less scary. I think they, even if they did that scene verbatim, word for word, but we don't see we don't that see Pac-Man it. shit happening. Yeah, yeah. Like, it would be fine. It looks it, shit. Whenever you see cells yeah. under a microscope in a movie, it always looks dog shit. I'm always like, do they have the fucking microscope big enough to do that shit <laughs> in 1980-whatever when they're doing <laughs> yeah. this? Oh, my other... um. My other big problem with this movie is it turns the premise of, uh, you know, this shape-shifting creature into a slasher movie mm. in a way that uh, Carpenter's one never did. Yeah, I think you know Carpenter's one, it's a little bit of a mystery who mm. who's the thing, how many people in this room are the thing. Yeah, this one doesn't do that, but it just often isolates lead characters mm. with another character who then is revealed to be the thing yeah. and they narrowly escape or they get killed. It just turns it into Halloween essentially yeah. in a way that is incredibly boring. There's or too like many a disease scenes. movie. Like a yeah, disease a zombie or movie pandemic or something. Movie. 
doesn't quite work. And it's like, you see as well, like, this is quite a good cast. Eric Christian Olsen aside. And by the way, I don't think that man's name has ever been said so much yeah. as we've said on this podcast. He's getting a Google alert just from this happening. <laughs> I actually quite like him. What do I know him from? He's in heaps of shit. He's just one of those actors. He's been around forever. Yeah. Um, never in like a huge breakout role, but often as the boyfriend in things. He's he in, was in like TV shows and he's stuff? He's in Community. Okay, he's in yes. the Dumb and Dumber prequel. Oh, yeah. He loves his prequels. <laughs> yeah, he's a real prequel guy. He's in, is it called F.U.? Fired Up? Oh, Fired Up. That's where I know him. Yeah, the Fired cheerleader m- yeah. movie. Um. Yeah, he's just one of those guys, and I, I quite like him. And he was popping in 2011. He It was peak Eric Christian Olsen era. Around that time, he was in Community as Britta's boyfriend. Very funny supporting role uh, of that. Beautiful stuff. And you've got, like, Mary Elizabeth Winston Wonderful. is the lead of this movie. Great She's star. modern scream queen. Great. Yeah. And a, a movie star. And I think she is quite effective with what she's given here. As I would say is... Think Joel Edgerton. Mm. You couldn't get more perfect casting to be the like the surrogate for the Kurt Russell character. Yeah, yeah. And to be kind type. of like a bit of a remix of that character in that he is, you know, switching between selfless and selfish mm. in a way that I found really interesting. And you know, it's that thing that you heard a lot about in this time, where like lots of Australian actors were getting cast in these roles and they were saying like there's no american actors like this anymore Mm. all these guys come from australia because in america guys like this get into football not acting yeah and there's like all these actors like uh, joel edgerton jason clark Mm. that were just getting jai courtney as well like just getting all these roles because they had like this kind of like stinky masculinity that just like was what american films really needed that's true yeah, they're all like, who's who's the American equivalent of that that's like a young actor? They're, I can't think of one now. Walton Goggins. Yeah, man. And he's like 60 he's years slime. old. He's <laughs> slime. He's yeah. pure slime. Yeah. He can't do like tough masculinity. He can just do grot. Sinewy. Yeah, sinewy, sinewy masculinity. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that's interesting. Edgerton's great in this. He's always good. Uh, every, you know, everyone in the cast is good. It's, mm. a, it's a really solid cast. But it's just, it's just so boring. Um, just nothing really grabbed me about it. I yeah. don't know. Even the um, the transformations. You know, it had been how many years it had been between between uh, things. Yeah, 30, 40 years, thirty and years and change. Thirty years and a handful of changes. Yeah, and I think that's really what it is. Is like. If this had gone on, and I think this is what they aim for, like these were practical effects that they use on this movie. I've heard, and then they covered it with CG. Yeah, they originally were going to be complete practical effects, mm. and then they would be enhanced by CG to add like tentacles or whatever mm. to kind of like blend the two. But then the studio got scared with what they were doing and covered up the practical effects almost entirely with CG. <sighs> And it just does not create a sense of fear whatsoever. The practicality of those effects in the best thing from 1982 are in creating like a realistic reality for the characters in the film Mm. and for creating like physical texture, like physical texture that makes it feel discomforting and makes it feel confronting when you see it. In this, to have it all like plastered with like freaking Robert Zemeckis, like CGI. Yeah, it's like fucking Welcome to Marwin shit. Like it's just, that's that plasticky, shiny, perfectly lit CG that, that because it's designed by animators to look so perfect, 
actually looks even more fake. Mm. Um, that Uncanny Valley shit. There's some of it's quite inventive. There's a part where one of the women who is the thing, her bot, her torso opens up like a mouth. Yeah. And her like head and spine are kind of slung back behind her in this disgusting. They kind of stop working. They just kind of like yeah, lay they're limp. Just gross appendages that are yeah. hanging off her while the rest of her body is like an active chewing machine. That is a very cool and inventive way to mm. like turn a woman into a monster. But also, it looks it just doesn't it didn't, never scared me or never grossed me out at all because th- it looked too perfect. Yeah, it looks too perfect and looks too cartoony because mm. it doesn't feel real. Mm. Like if that was real, they just had like these working legs or someone beneath there mm. that was just moving with it and looked like this like headless creature with like a, a giant cavity open trying to gobble you up. Mm. That could be really scary, but because it doesn't feel real, it feels like this CGI creation. It feels like something from like Our Real Monsters, like a Nickelodeon totally, show. Totally, yeah, And it feels yeah. comedic rather than like sickly twisted comedic where yes. you feel like a danger, but also like excited that something perverse yeah. is happening on screen. Also, I think almost every transformation involved spider legs at some point. Mm. At a certain point, I went, let's... Get over the spider legs, guys. Every yeah. every single time someone changes into the monster, they're like they grow all these extra limbs. Yeah, and all shit. The only one that none of them actually got close at all no, to no that. Way. The only one that kind of did anything for me and created a sense of surprise uh, was there's a scene where they're trying to help someone up, and then like. Out of nowhere, just one of his arms rips off and crawls away with spider legs. And that yeah, becomes that like... Yeah, that was pretty gross. That was the only one where I was like, that is getting to something what the original movie does where it defied... Where something felt normal and mm. then immediately changes. It became othered. But then the, the spider arm thing that attacks the guy from Game of Thrones... Mm-hmm. Uh, just mimicked alien like that was an alien ripoff having the the arm yeah. like the hand thing kind of like face rape the guy and yeah. stick itself to him in that way i just was i, I felt like i'd seen everything there was yeah. nothing in the movie that felt new to me whereas every time i watch carpenter's version there's some thing that i can't believe i'm seeing mm. and it will still surprise you i think from what i've read that matthias uh Matthias Heinegan Jr., he talked about like how this was his like debut feature film, really. All right. And he uh, basically swore off ever making a Hollywood American movie ever again hmm. and left filmmaking for a while. He's now returned, but will never work in America again because I think there was like this idea of like corrupting his vision from it to make it more palatable to a mainstream audience. But the thing never was palatable to a mainstream audience no. ever. So it feels like to make it that way is a betrayal of this genre entry, which was meant to confront you and make you feel sickened by what you could see while still being entertaining. So what does he do? What's uh, I'm, I'm looking up Matthias van Heiningen Jr. now, Dutch filmmaker. Yeah, The Thing is the last credit of his. Mm. Um, and then before that, it's a bunch of like European films, I guess. Crazy. I mean, he's quite, he's, he, he's good, you know, Mm. like the, and I like the European angle. Yeah. I like that most of this cast are Norwegian. Yeah. Um, 
that or feels fresh. Scan- yeah, I love that. I mean, it's fucking Nordic noir almost. Yeah. Like you were just talking about Kristen Hivyu, who was mm. from Game of Thrones, plays Tormund and that, who's popped up in a lot of stuff. I think he's great in it. Ulrich Thompson is great as well as like this this crew of people that are like either bilingual or monolingual and there's like a b- breakdown of communication in there which i think is such a great and effective way yeah. to tell this story in in like that is all about a who done it is it like having this be a multilingual cast that's been brought together to find like the answers to the universe mm. makes so much good sense on paper but then is like executed beyond the director very poorly. Yes, yeah. That's really frustrating to hear about the studio fucking it up like that and then kind of taking this guy's um, creative license and confidence Mm. away from him. That really upsets me. Matthias Van Heiningen Jr., if you are listening, you are a talent. Trust your instincts. Trust your creativity. Mm -hmm. You have it in you. You have an eye. You have a vision. You have an ear. You have an ear. You have a je ne sais quoi. A certain something that makes a director and a filmmaker. Do not listen to the suits. They are wrong. Mm -hmm. They are not creative. They are jealous that you are a creative and they are fucking up your shit, dude. They don't fucking get it. They don't get it, man. We get it. We get it. We're fans of cinema and we can see a talent when Mm -hmm. when we just fucking cast our eye over a movie. Yeah, we didn't love the thing from 2011. We did not love it. No way did we love it. I barely even gave a freaking <laughs> shit about it. But I could see that you had something, and I want to see you making more films. I want yes. to see you being an artist out there in the world. And listen, yes, I did mainly look at my emails while watching Definitely. this movie. Yes, yeah. I caught up on admin. Of course, I but, did a lot of that. I fucked around on my phone. Yes, I, I may have, <laughs> I tried to download a Tamagotchi app or something watching this movie. <laughs> but I will let you know this. I gave it a second chance. Yeah. I kind of also watched it again today. Really? I had a 48-hour a window of renting this movie on Apple TV. Hmm. And I watched it on the day that I purchased that rental. Mm-hmm. And then I watched it hours before that rental period lapsed. And That's let exciting. me tell you, both times there were moments where I looked up from my phone. <laughs> and there were moments where I enjoyed the yeah. work of your of your wonderful directing Matthias von Heinegen Jr. Yes, and we also like the fact that you have a junior in your name. We think that's kind of cool. We think it's exciting and it shows that you have a history within your family yes. of people being named after their papas. And I'm looking you up now and your dad's name is Matthias and he's a producer. So I'm sorry for everything I said about mm. producers being suits with no souls who don't know jack fucking shit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry at least one producer does and his name is Matthias von Heinegen and, Senior. And you know what the best thing he produced? You. Yeah. He produced you. First, he produced arousal he, yeah, he, within himself. He produced the juice that was Yes, you. he produced the juice and he let the juice loose. <laughs> so make more movies, man. Yeah, make some make some use of that juice, Don't dude. Don't be a waste of juice. Yes, you got to be the, the proudest punch that your father could ever produce. Good Lord, Matthias. But Matthias, we honor you today on this podcast. We're here for you. We stand up for you. We're both standing. We stand you, Matthias. We stand you, dude. 
We freaking... St- this is a Matthias Stan cast now. We will only be talking about the movies that Matthias has produced. And thankfully, it is just this one episode. Yeah, there is another one that he made. Oh, my he God. He made a movie called Red Rain, which I've never um, planned on seeing until now. <laughs> <laughs> and now I shall see it because I stand you, Matthias. I fucking stand you, dude. I fucking stand you and I fucking stand your dad and I fucking stand both of your creative visions. I stand every Von Heineken that I will ever meet. And that is a God honest truth. Yes. Hand to heart. I've met a handful of Von Heinigans in my mm-hmm. time uh, in Holland. I've been to Holland. I've been to Amsterdam. You've I've, walked the same streets of the Van Heiningen. the same streets <laughs> of the Van Heiningens. I've, in fact, very recently, you and I met a Van Heiningen. Yes, we did. And we will not talk about it until a few weeks. But we love them all. We love the Dutch. We think they're crazy and we think they're funny. I think they're not normal. And that's they're what I like about them. They're very not normal, which is awesome. <laughs> that's your favorite thing about the Dutch. <laughs> yeah. When I the, when I first went to the Netherlands, I couldn't believe every single Dutch person I met would say things like, oh, yes, yes, he's not normal. He's really not normal. <laughs> that's a, co- a common thing they say over there. They don't use the word weird They don't ever. say weird. They say not normal. <laughs> And that's a really positive way to look at it. you like the films of Jim Carrey? He's really not normal. (laughs) One of my least favorite not normal directors, David Lynch. (laughs) (laughs) And you're not normal, Matthias? Yeah, you're special. Yeah, you're a special, special batch of juice. (laughs) (laughs) Extra thick, concentrated juice is what you are. And we love you, buddy. We love you. We think you're great. That's the spunk that makes a director, literally. (laughs) Uh, what else about this movie can we discuss? Not very much, but we shall endeavour to fill another few minutes about this movie for this podcast. Uh, the spaceship stuff sucks <sighs> shit. I hated it so much. And I'm reading right now on Wikipedia that that, um, that was, was a real spaceship. That was real. They found it and they they were freaked out by it at first, but then they said, let's shoot in here. Yeah. They got a permit and they were allowed to shoot in there. No, it, it's uh, that whole scene was kind of like recut, reshot, and mm-hmm. recovered with effects. Yeah, they originally was meant to be in this spaceship, basically an alien massacre. Like all the aliens on this ship were mm-hmm. like transporting the thing, which was meant to be a fucking prisoner or some shit. The juice once again got loose and massacred the aliens, <laughs> and then in shame, the alien pilot were to hang himself on the ship. And they come across his corpse when they get on the ship. But instead, they thought that was too freaky and not normal. And they covered it up with like this weird Tetris hologram effect that was like showing the climate of Earth or some yeah. shit. So you don't see any of this like alien massacre at all. I think that what they ended up with is incredibly not normal. And yeah. even though I'm sure the original idea is probably sucks too. Still whack and shit. Um, I think it's maybe a cooler idea to get on board the ship that you think... This is the thing's ship, right? Mm. This is the alien ship that he came down here to Earth to kill us in. And when you get on there, you realize that there was a whole other alien species on there that were wiped out by the thing. That's frightening. And the thing was just something that they had captured and it got loose and it killed them all. Mm. I think that's very cool. You think it's very cool? I think it's not normal. (laughs) And in a way, it's a cool idea. Yeah. To like end your movie on the idea of fuck, like all civilizations are being wiped out by mm. this creature. It's very Halo. I happens in Halo, dude. Can't wait to try Halo. Fuck, so you heard me say Halo and it started waking up my memories from high school. 
Yeah, it's very much like Halo, the flood from Halo, do all that. They're spores that um, infect and contaminate and turn everyone into zombies. I remember playing Halo one time. Fuck yeah, bros. And then I said, not for me. Not your bag, baby. No, not a gamer. I only play mind games. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is actually very similar to another uh, horror sci-fi reboot of this era and i remember seeing this movie on dvd a digital virtual disc that i borrowed from my dvd virtual disc store that would rent them out to me it was called easy video video Hmm. easy actually is what it was called (laughs) video easy and i borrowed it put it in the player and i was absorbed by this movie that begins in the snow where they uncover a giant artifact and which is like kind of a pyramid or a spaceship or something and they go in and it's got freaking um uh, they've got they've got a wonderful cast of actors coming to for it Who have we got in there? you've got a guy called um um what's his name he is a friend of james cameron <laughs> Um, uh, Michael Bain, not Michael Bain, uh, but um, an actor called Lance Henriksen. Uh huh. And they travel down into like this kind of like shaft and they find like this big thing and they find like a craft. And then you find out that there's a creature that has come loose from there that was being transported by the predators and they had a xenomorph on there. Hang on, you've just played your hand here. I played it because I got sick of creating this (laughs) this mystery. (laughs) So So I decided to just throw it out there and tell you what it was. Alien vs. Predator is the same shit as I've actually never seen that. You must see it. It is a true triumph of forging two things it's, together. Is it? I mean, as is it as good as Freddy vs. Jason? I have not seen it since like 2007 when I first saw it on DVD in the story that I yeah. was really brilliantly putting together. And I remember the next day I rented Alien because I never saw it. And I loved mm. Alien vs. Predator and I watched and it. And you said, not as good as the when they got the Predators in there. I did say that. <laughs> I was like, not as interesting, not as fun, not as exciting. And, you know, since then I've rewatched Alien and think it's a masterpiece. So I guess Alien vs. Predator, even better. So it must be. It must better, be even yeah. better. What's I like your favorite versus movie? I'll go first. Mine is Fat Pizza versus Houses. Mine is Kramer versus Kramer. Mm. Both mm. are great. Both are great. It's hard to say which one's better. Maybe the one if Reese Nicholson is better. Mine's The People versus Larry Flint. Oh, that's a good one, Milos. Yeah, Milos Forman directed. Are there any that. other verses? Um, yeah, Joe versus the volcano. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of any more. Um, yeah, I think that's all of them. We yeah, got all we the named verses. Them. We named oh, them Batman vs. Superman. Oh, I've never seen it. Oh, you would love it because it's when <laughs> it's Batman versus Superman. At oh, one point. fuck. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Hang on, are they both good guys? Wait till you see it hmm. because it plays with that idea in making them both bad. That's interesting. <laughs> I'd like to see the thing. 1982 versus The Thing 2011. Yeah, I think that would be quite the battle. That would be crazy, because one's cool and one sucks. (laughs) (laughs) And one's old and one sucks. (laughs) Really, this I think there's like... You know, there's very little say about this movie whatsoever. It's totally inconsequential. But I think that the, the interesting thing about this movie for me is that I think... Its mere existence really 
is did that thing that like a lot of people worry that remakes would do that it being released would tarnish or erase the original in some way mm. think that this had the opposite effect of that i think that it has if anything given more credit to the 1982 film yeah in that it was not able to trump the practical effects it made was not able to like go wow look at what we can do now with cg effects mm. it completely erases that in this film it doesn't do anything to it if anything it just highlights how incredible that original the effects in the original movie were uh it, it's artistic limitations are all highlighted in the original film like the original film really uh shows like like immense creativity being put to something but i think more importantly than anything this movie's existence brought more attention to that original in just like really not being able to live up to it and has given people, as noted by me just saying this, they call the thing from 1982 the original now. Mm. It has really cemented it as it being like this, a, an original film that uh, it is not, it's not an original movie. Mm. It itself is a remake, but because of its originality in its storytelling, it has now been inducted as like a true innovator rather than it have being like in the lineage of science fiction storytelling. It is now is known as an originator uh, and, and innovator rather than just like something that continues legacy mm. and just like reinvents things. It is now known as an innovator, not a reinventor. And that, I think, is why we stand Matthias. I think so. Because he unintentionally made a movie so boring <laughs> that we were like, oh, God, the one from the 80s was better. <laughs> it's an original. The other one's Fuck original. the other shit. It doesn't count anymore. <laughs> this is a real... This is where everything started. And that's that's cool. I mean, it's probably not what he hoped would happen. Mm. Um, it's not a normal situation. It's not normal at all, but it's cool. <laughs> it's cool that he did it. Yeah. You know? So good on you, Matthias. Uh, stick around. Stick around for the after show where we'll talk about the thing longer and go through the career of Matthias von Heinegen Jr. And his father. <laughs> but, you know, this movie isn't a fully complete piece of shit. But I would no, not, not at all. I think there's no reason to watch it after you've heard us talk about it whatsoever. Yep, 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 yep. yep. I agree. Yeah. So anyway, thanks for joining us on another episode of Total Reboot. We talked about one of the most iconic movies of all time, the original that inspired it, and the freaking trash that ripped it off. And that is tend to be what we do on this podcast. Yeah, plus we throw in a few riffs for good measure. Yeah, we try to enlighten you while lightening the mood with a bit of humor. Yeah, and nowadays more than ever, that's important. Mm-hmm. We need a good chuckle. I don't want to say what's going on out there in the world because I don't want to like freak you I out. I don't want to freak you guys out. But right now, more than any time in human history, total reboot is total important. reboot needs to riff. <laughs> <laughs> well, we riff. We shall. <laughs> uh, what do we have to tell you is important. <laughs> it is exciting and it is enthralling. Next Friday, mm. there, which will- is a great flick. Yeah, next Friday. Friday after next, also awesome. <laughs> next Friday, there will be a flick starring Ice Cube. <laughs> <laughs> no, next Friday, uh, there will not be a total reboot because we want to push you guys towards something that's very exciting to us. Yeah. So, next week, instead of an episode here, 
We're going to be directing you towards the Finding Drago podcast feed, mm-hmm. where our new series, Finding Desperado, officially begins. It is premiering exactly next Friday, seven days from now, the ring style, baby. <laughs> we're, there is a new Finding Drago podcast, Finding Drago 2, Finding Desperado. Very exciting. We can't wait for you to hear it. We've worked very hard on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, not that that's a reason you should care. Yeah. You know, people be like, I worked really hard on this. Like, Matthias probably said the same <laughs> thing about the thing. <laughs> I worked really hard on it, guys. Come check it out. And it's then like, here we are nine sucks, years man. later yeah. dismissing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's still sucks. That's no reason, but we, we, we think you might like it. Yeah, I think that you will really like it because I worked really hard on it. <laughs> but no, I think that I'm really happy with it. That's why yeah. I want you to listen to it because yeah. I think that we have made a really exciting, thrilling new mystery that we mm. have investigated. Do we solve it? Listen for a full six weeks and find out. Yeah. Uh, but we will continue putting Total Reboots out. They're going to come out on Mondays yes. for the next little while. So next Friday, we're just going to put a little trailer for Finding Desperado in there so you guys can check it out. And then two days later, three days later on that Monday, there will be the next mini series starting here, which is one we're very excited about. Mm. And this ties into Finding Desperado. And next couple of mini series, we will be discussing films that were... Uh, franchises really that were probably the t- most biggest like aesthetic inspirations for us on this podcast. Definitely, definitely. So uh, for anyone who listened to Finding Drago, you know that Rocky was obviously a huge mm-hmm. aesthetic and stylistic influence. This time around, can we say what they are? Yeah, let's say it. The first miniseries they're going to be doing that ties into Funny Desperado is probably our biggest stylistic, uh, aesthetic inspiration and also storytelling inspiration mm. for the new podcast. It's one that we wanted to do for ages. We could never figure out exactly the calibration of movies that we would do. Mm. We just decided to do all of them, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want to say what it is? Yeah, it's... um. Well, I'm, I don't know what to call the franchise because it doesn't have a name, but I'll say it's the Silence of the Lambs movies. Mm, yes. It's the Hannibal... Saga. Yes, the saga Imagine of Hannibal. Imagine if that's how they branded it. <laughs> In the steel box. Yeah, the steel release. box. The Hannibal like saga. The saga of Mr. Lecter. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to be doing Manhunter, the Michael mm-hmm. Mann film, and then... That stars Brian Cox as Mr. Hannibal yes. Lecter. Hello, I'm Hannibal Lecter. Is that how he talks? He sounds different. I've never seen that. I'm really excited He's to see it. He does his normal Scottish accent. And then after that, we will be doing one of the greatest films of all time. And mm. it's really strange that one of the greatest films of all time is about a, a cannibal named Hannibal. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Yeah. We're going to be talking about The Silence of the Lambs. Yep. And then... Directed by the, John the Demi. For the third one, I actually don't know what we're doing. Hannibal. Okay. Let's just do Hannibal. You don't want to do Red Dragon? Let's do Hannibal and then Red Dragon. Okay. Yeah, cool. Like Hannibal, That's we the find. order it came out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Hannibal, then Red Dragon. So that'll be fun. We get to talk about Hannibal Lecter, who's a cannibal named Hannibal, as you just said, which is very funny. It's um, it is so weird that the that they're good <laughs> movies about a guy a, a guy who's a cannibal named Hannibal. Like that's so weird. <laughs> it sounds like a Doctor Seuss book. Yeah. <laughs> and then this the next mini series we're going to do after that is another one that would be a huge influence on this. Do we want to reveal that one too? Uh, let's keep a secret for now. Okay. We can reveal it as we'll we get reveal it as to we it. get along. But we're you know if you're listening to Finding Desperado at the same time as you're listening to these next couple of mini series, you will notice some mm. some crossover 
or in you know, textures. Not yeah. really, you know. With this, it's more just like they influence how we decide to tell this story. Yeah, and like thematically, what we found interesting, and uh, I guess like structurally, they helped us as well. Yeah, and we ripped some stuff off. Like Absolutely. Some, yeah, some lines and stuff from ripped some lines off, paid some homage here and there. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Finding Desperado comes out next week, and I'm so excited for you guys to hear it. Uh, what can we tease about it? Um, I don't know. I'm I don't even know what we're allowed to say. The yeah. promo machine that we are currently living in, yeah. is such that we want to keep it a mystery. And it is a mystery. We will just say it's a mystery, and just like last time, it all begins with a book. That's all we need to say. Excellent. Party so time. do that. Um, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at I am Cameron James. I'm at this is Alexi. Uh, if you want to hear more from us, we do a Patreon podcast called Total Respect. We pay total respect to actors that we absolutely adore. There will be a new one in your feed probably right now if you're a subscriber to that. And uh, we have just done a few extra John Travolta episodes that are really fun to dig into. And um, in the meantime, I also host another podcast with Susie Youssef for Netflix Australia. It's called The Big Film Buffet. So if you've seen Trial of Chicago 7, Hubie Halloween, uh, we've got some very fun podcasts about those movies over there. And um, yeah, listen to Finding Desperado. That's the main thing that I want to tell you about. (laughs) I'm so excited about it. Me too. I can't wait. I might even listen to it when it comes out. I think I probably will listen to it on the app to boost the numbers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, please share it. If you listen to this, just share Finding Desperado and Total Reboot with your friends uh, because they are very precious and important. Yeah. And they're not normal.